especially for today's American entrepreneur, we don't want something that anyone else can just buy. So true. A, a Vortec watch, every single one is one of a kind. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's episode because I'm sitting down with somebody who I really respect and who's really become a good friend of mine. And his name is R.T. Custer. Now, R.T. is the founder and CEO of Vortic Watch Company. And some of you know what that is already. Some of you may not have come across Vortic Watches yet, but they are these incredible 100 plus year old pocket watches that are reclaimed, found from like scrap piles, and turned into modern day wristwatches without losing any of the integrity of this 100-year-old watch that it is. And they are absolutely amazing, one-of-a-kind pieces of functional art. And he's turned this company, this idea that nobody else was doing, he's turned this company into a multi-million dollar company. And that's why I wanted to interview him today, is he is literally a walking metaphor for so many of you to be inspired by. Because he started this company with an idea in college. And is he and a buddy, just a couple of college kids that said, nobody's doing this. This would be a really cool idea. Where do we get the money? They found a way to get the money. You're going to hear the story when he tells it. And he's a metaphor for taking any crazy idea you have and turning it into a success story. And so I'm excited for you to listen, not only for the inspiration, not only for some of the history lessons that he shares with you on what entrepreneurs can learn from history, but also from some of the struggles that he's had along the way of building this thing. And last but certainly not least, I cannot wait for you to hear the amazing charitable initiative that he is doing, that he is working with for veterans. I'm not going to spill the beans right now, but you're going to absolutely love what he's doing. So get ready, listen up, because this episode is so dang valuable. All right, RT Custer, my friend. How you doing, brother? I am doing awesome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Seriously, my pleasure. One, I'm such a huge fan of the art that you create, aka your watches. And number two, I'm just a huge fan of, of what you're doing in the world, your, your generosity side, you as a human being. So I know we're going to have a great conversation. And that conversation is going to start with rapid fire. You down for it? Let's go. All right. Start easy. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Redding, Pennsylvania. And where do you live now? Fort Collins, Colorado. And what is your favorite quote? You can do anything you put your mind to. My dad said that. Oh, man. I love that. Isn't that the truth, too? What is one of your superpowers? 
I, I think my dad created that uh, when he said that to me a lot. And it's uh, my belief in myself. I, I feel like a lot of people have like self-limiting beliefs and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I've just, I've never been able to relate to that feeling. Like, I, I just know that I'll figure it out. Like, I know I can do it. Whatever's in front of me, it might be hard, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Man, I love that. I've seen that side of you too. What's one of your favorite books? Building a Story Brand. Uh, I think Don Miller. Oh, that's a really good one. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Man, it's a great question. So I, I feel like I'm trying and I want to do everything. Like I have so many irons in the fire and I just I want to say yes to everything and do everything. And I either need to um, like delegate more or hire more people or start saying no more. Or, or I don't know, maybe there's probably not a middle ground in there, but I think the, I think I know the answer, which is I need to have more help if I want to do what I want to do. But that's, I guess that's the dilemma I have right now. I think we're going to circle back around to that one. A couple more here. What's one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? You know, I, I would have to say removing myself from day-to-day operations at my company. It's taken me six years to figure that out. And now... Even though I know my last answer was I got a lot of stuff going on, it's I kind of have those first world problems of like the business can operate without me, which is just so it's such an amazing accomplishment, and I, you know I'm really proud to to say that I finally <laughs> figured that out. It's a big step for every entrepreneur. Two more of them. What's something generous you've done recently? Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little more, but there's the uh, we're donating ten percent of the proceeds of our military edition. So we're donating 10% of the proceeds of our military edition to the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative. And I committed to that. Like I flew out to that organization headquarters and sat down with them and got that all figured out. And so that's, um, you know, haven't written the check yet, but uh, committed to do it, which uh, is really, really exciting. Man, that's really cool. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for my support system. That's one, my girlfriend, Lindsay, I mean, she's my rock. I mean, everything, like we're both entrepreneurs and she puts up with me working all the time and always talking about work and, you know, I, the same for her as well. And, uh, and then of course, like I said, my, my team at, at Vortec and them being able to operate without me and, and help me build this company, not alone, you know, so my, my support system in its entirety. Man, I love that. Okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper now. And I want to start by diving deep on these watches that you create because I want the listeners to really understand how cool this is. And the reason why I wanted to have you on is it's an example that you can create an incredible multi-million dollar company out of anything that you're passionate about. I mean, anything. And this is such a great metaphor for that. So I'll give my Cliff Notes version and then I want you to clean it up. The reason I think they're so cool is you take these 100-year-old plus forgotten pocket watches, for lack of a better term, and you basically turn them into really incredible one-of-a-kind wristwatches. You know, I'm a watch guy and it's one of my all-time favorite watches that I wear and it's the one that gets the most questions when I wear it. You know, where'd I get that or what's the story behind it? Because you can look at it and tell it's very, very aged and, and so people, you know, it's a good conversation starter. And I think I like it because I picture, I don't think most people know this about me, but I love trains, right? So I picture the old school train conductors pulling out their pocket watch and using it for accuracy. 
And then somehow it ends up in your hands a hundred years later and it's on my wrist. That's what I picture anyways. I know it's probably a romantic picture of it, but I think that's why they excite me so much. So where in the heck did this crazy idea come from? And what more do you want us to, to know about this company? Yeah, I mean, I think you just sold the heck out of it. I mean, that's pretty much what we do. It's uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm such a fan of watches. it. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate it. It's it's um it's still exciting for me too. <laughs> so that that's really what we try to do is is build conversation pieces. I mean, every watch is one of a kind, and that that story that you just told. I mean, it's it's fairly accurate. I mean, the the pocket watches that we use to build our wrist watches are about a hundred years old, and they were probably used by Somebody on the railroad, or you know, somebody in a in a bank back then that that had to tell the time and keep up with their appointments. And I mean, this is like the early 1900s, right? So the only two ways to tell time was a pocket watch and a clock. So it was a different time back then. And and I like to think that that my customers, you know, look at this thing and and try to think back to to what what happened back then and what their pocket watch might have gone through and seen in its life before they got it. You know, there's so many romantic stories like that. I, I just think it's um it's awesome. But to to answer your question, the idea came from a uh, you know really simple place. Uh, my friend and I, we wanted to make a watch that was actually made in the United States, like hundred percent made in USA. And it was kind of like a college project. Uh, we were studying at Penn State at the time. And um we did a bunch of research and nobody makes the guts of watches in America. You know, the, the movements mm-hmm. is what we call them or the mechanisms made in, in Japan, China, or Switzerland today, especially, you know, Switzerland is known for the high-end ones. And um, we, we did a bunch of research and, and we kind of stumbled upon the history of these old pocket watch companies and uh, went into a pawn shop. And the guy that ran the pawn shop told us that most pocket watches today it's scrapped for the gold or silver of their cases and the movements or the mechanisms inside are thrown away. Um, and they're, they're scrapped in that process. And, um, you know, I'm a history nerd just as much as I am, a, a actual nerd, you know, I'm an engineer too. So I just, I, you know, I thought it was a shame, uh, that people were literally throwing away pieces of American history and it's like a little engine on your wrist. You know, when you look at it, it's amazing that they could make something that small that held time back then. And anyway, we, we came up with this solution, which I call a preservation system. And we put that on Kickstarter in 2014. And um, yeah, it caught on. It's just a, we, we got really lucky. We had a good idea and people really like it. So <laughs> so I, I actually forgot about this part of the story that you guys started on Kickstarter in order to get the money to get this thing off the ground. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, November of 2014. We filmed the Kickstarter video in my garage here in Colorado. It was like really cold. (laughs) I distinctly remember how cold it was. But the garage was like the only good setting that we had that wasn't like messy for a video. And yeah, we just put the idea on the internet and we set a goal of $10,000 because we thought... I mean, we were... In our early twenties, just out of college, we thought ten grand was a lot of money. So we we're like, "Oh, if we have ten grand, we can start a business." And um, and we raised forty thousand in uh, thirty days. Whoa! Um, and we basically used used that money to prove to like bankers and investors and other people because that's you know, as you know, not enough money still to raise to start a business. Um, but we basically used that Kickstarter as like a minimum viable product and like 
proof of product market fit to start the company. RT, I want everybody to really grasp this. People are like, hey, I've got a good idea, but I don't know how to start it. Number one, you didn't know anything about these pocket watches or that the guts get scrapped and, and they're just being sold off for the gold and silver. But you, by you doing the research, being resourceful, you figured it out that reinforced your idea that you could do something with these. And then secondly, you didn't have the money. You, like you said, you're a young college student and you raised 40,000 bucks by filming a video in your freaking garage because it was the least messy place. Like, Would everybody please give an amen or a hallelujah to how resourceful that is and that there's no freaking excuses? <laughs> In hindsight, it probably looks really sexy. Uh, in the moment, it was it was you know three dudes freezing our butts off in a garage, uh, drinking some high percentage beers because we were trying to stay warm. <laughs> but I'm so glad you're painting this picture <laughs> because, like you said, it does look like a romantic story to everyone else. But it feels like garbage in the moment, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the the journey that is entrepreneurship, right? You know. You don't you don't realize what you've done until you look behind you and see what you've left in your wake. And uh, the wake is not a nice, smooth stream. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's a really good quote right there too. You don't know what you've done until you look in, you know, behind you into the wake. That's amazing. So, why was it important to you that you found out that these watches were 100 made in the USA? So, you know, I'm not like a like a hardcore patriot by any means. Like, you know, I don't walk around doing USA chants everywhere. It's not necessarily <laughs> that. It's it's more that it was more of the challenge, you know, like in in college studying engineering, we always had projects and and the professors would put up challenges and they would say, like, I wonder if we can do this. And it's something that no one's ever done before or someone's gotten close or what have you. And, um, and so I was just kind of in that mindset, right, of that education, like, what is possible? What can we and can't we do kind of mindset? You know, we did, like I said, we did that research and we couldn't find anyone really making everything in America. You know, there's, there's watches at that time that were assembled in America using foreign and domestic components, but no one like really trying to make everything and really putting an emphasis on that. And so that and that was just where the idea came from, Chris. You know, that was kind of the inspiration. Once we found out the history of these pocket watches and came up with what we call the American Artisan series, which the industry calls a pocket watch conversion. You know, you're just taking a pocket watch, turning your wristwatch. Once we really had that idea and we started talking about it, we and our customers became way more fascinated in that concept than it being 100% made in America. And it is, and that's cool, but it's kind of a qualifier or a quality statement. It's not the marketing that we use. Our marketing is more you know, custom-made, made-to-order, 100-year-old piece of American history inside. You know, The fact that it's completely American-made, I think, is just the only right way to do what we do. You know, to give justice to these hundred-year-old mechanisms. If I put it in a case that wasn't made in America, in a level of quality that's worthy of that piece of art that's inside, I wouldn't be doing it justice. I wouldn't be making a quality product. So, how accurate are these things? How how are, how do you ensure that they're working after a hundred years? What's your process? Yeah, so I like to I like to use a lot of uh, car analogies. So, what we do is we go out and we we have pickers. Uh, if you ever seen American Pickers on the History Channel or something like that, that we we have people that basically 
are digging through estate sales and antique auctions and stuff like that. And we're finding these pocket watches. Um, I was going to ask and how a you lot of times so like, this is like a team of people that you yeah. dispatch or you, you commission them somehow or something. Well, so there's a huge industry of estate buyers, people that go around the country and a jewelry store, a pawn shop goes out of business and these guys go in and buy the whole thing. And they like flip the Rolexes. They, you know, take the diamonds and sell, sell them to somebody else. They melt down the gold and sell that to someone else. And then the pocket watches, especially the ones that don't have their original cases, make their way to me because I'm kind of the only one in the market for that uh, kind of thing. And, um, and that's where they come from. It's just this supply chain that, that I've developed over the last, you know, five or six years of you know just doing networking just finding people like that and saying hey when you find a nice pocket watch send it my way um we'll give it a new home so anyway that's that's really you know our focus in trying to find them and then you know going back to the the car analogy it's kind of like if you find like a model a sitting in somebody's backyard you know it's been sitting there for 50 years in the rain and the wind and the snow and it's still in decent shape, but it's all rusted out and it really need it needs a bunch of love. And the only way to take that, you know, car and and make it work again is to completely disassemble it, clean and polish and oil every single component and then put it back together. And that's what we do with the pocket watches. We completely gut them. Every screw and spring gets taken apart. Um, our watchmakers go through these things and meticulously restore them, make them tell time again. We try to get them as close to factory spec as possible. You know, the original factory specifications from a hundred years ago. And then we start doing our work to make the custom wristwatch cases and all that other stuff for them. So it's, it's a process. It's, it's amazing. A long like, one. <laughs> I see why not many people are doing this because it's a, not only are you taking this one of a kind thing, not only are you taking something that's in limited supply, not only are you basically refurbishing or rebuilding the whole thing from the inside out without changing its integrity at all. This is like a real true lost art. Do you have trouble finding people that have the skill sets to help you scale this? Yeah. So that's a lot of people ask me like where the bottleneck is, especially like investors <laughs> or potential investors, <laughs> right? So it's like, it's like, okay, well, where's the bottleneck? And so, there was so one one fun fact there were over 100 million pocket watches made in America between the mid 1800s and the mid 1900s what so so there are and they, there was 10 companies that made them and we have a list on our website which is vorticwatches.com/history and we made a map of the great american watch companies and that map tells you what who the companies were the history of those companies how many pocket watches they made all that stuff so there's millions of them out there. You just have to know where to look. And so that's really my IP in that world is, is knowing where to look. You know, I have the, the network of people that are always out there hunting and finding great stuff. And I'm cherry picking the world's best pocket watches, bringing them to Colorado, restoring them, turning them to wristwatches. So that's the first thing. And then to answer your question, the bottleneck, the hardest part is finding the people that know how to restore them. Because there's a huge difference between 
understanding how to take one apart and put it back together, which is typically called like an overhaul when you just take the mechanism apart and put it back together, put some oil in the right places, hopefully, and then wind it up and it works. That's not what we do. We restore them, which is just a whole nother level of taking something that doesn't work at all and making it alive truly again. And there's a handful of of people in the U.S. that know how to do that, and I employ most of them. Wow! So I mean, <laughs> um, we're talking about limited resources are, on all fronts. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's why I don't really have any competitors because I mean, if if you had told me that I would have had to solve all these problems before I started, I might not have done it. But because I, like you said, I didn't know. I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, none of us did when we started. Like we're still, we still learn stuff every day now. Um, there's so many hurdles like this, but that's the biggest hurdle is there's not enough watchmakers in the U.S. It's a skilled trade that you know there's only really I think two or three schools that teach people how to do it anymore. And the average age of my watchmakers is probably 60. Oh no way! And the average age of the the American watchmaker is probably 70. Um, so you're really and you're so operating on limited time. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we, you know, that's that's why we're investing heavily into this nonprofit that, that I told you about, the Veterans Watchmakers Initiative, because you know they're training U.S. military vets how to be watchmakers, and it's a nonprofit, and they're trying to solve that problem that's because really it's cool. a job that people don't really know about, and and obviously like. When you think about what I do, making a truly American-made watch and preserving history, and like, there's not many nonprofits or charitable causes that like are perfectly on brand for my company, and that is just, it's just amazing. Like, I, I teared up when somebody first told me about it. I was like, this is absolutely, like, I can help a lot of people. I can give people jobs and purpose, and like solve my industry's biggest problem. And all I have to do is go shake this man's hand in Delaware. <laughs> that is really cool. Let's, so it's, let's it's go there right now. A lot of times we wait till later in the show to talk about some of your, your generosity initiatives. But this is a really interesting situation. So here you are supporting this charity that gives veterans purpose. But then in return, it's almost like it's supporting you back or at least will be one day. Is that kind of like one hand washes the other? What a beautiful synchronization of like efforts. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm not... I'm not in it just to give them money, you know, um, although they're obviously worthy of that. It's, I mean, they're, they're, I went and visited them just a couple of weeks ago and I was there on a recruitment mission. You know, I was there to try to like everyone in the class, like I think there's 12 people in his current class. And I told them what we do and I showed them some prototypes of our new stuff. And I mean, I'm there trying to say, hey, when you graduate, I need more people. You know, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's a beautiful place. You know, you should come out here and, and work for me um, because I, I need more watchmakers. Um, and so it's a, it's a win-win, I think, for us and, and for other people. I mean, some of these students that he's teaching, you know, they're, they're going off and getting amazing jobs with big jewelry and watch companies like Tiffany and Rolex and Omega. You, you know, he's, he's training the best of the best. 
So that's amazing. amazing. How are you going to compete with those big companies that want to pluck these veterans? You know, one thing I love about veterans is you know that you're getting someone who's willing to face any adversity. They're hardworking, nothing phases them. Yeah. So when they learn this craft, look out, they're unstoppable. How are you going to compete with the big names? Well, financially, I can't. And that's just one thing that, that I, I, get, I get right to that. You know, when I'm in a, an interview uh, with a potential watchmaker, I say, hey, if you want to go work for Rolex, they'll pay you a lot more. They'll provide a lot more benefits, all that stuff. But what I do is really cool. Yeah, there's so, <laughs> so much value in that. You know, if you want to, yeah. And that's, and that's the difference, right? There's, it's when I was talking to Sam, who runs the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative, you know, we were, we were talking about this whole, I mean, there's a huge movement in the U.S. to, to try to provide jobs for U.S. military vets, you know, and he's really focused on providing jobs and opportunity for disabled veterans, especially, which I, I think is just next level amazing. So I want to talk about him as much as I possibly can forever. But the thing we were talking about is there's a difference between providing someone a job and providing someone purpose. And that the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative is providing these vets with purpose. Yep. They come back. And yes, they can go work for any big watch company or, I mean, a watchmaker also can do other things. Like one of them, I think, is interviewing with NASA right now doing like high-end equipment and instrument kind of stuff, which is um, awesome, right? But that person is not just going to get a job. He's going to go work for NASA. Yeah. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, um, so, so that, that's the difference, right? Because like I used to work for Walmart and corporate and they, they do, like I love what they're doing, hiring like hundreds of thousands of vets, right? But that's a job. You know, they're, they're, Walmart's providing them a job, which is great. But it's, it's just punching the clock and, and doing something there. These, these, you know, men and women that are going through the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative, they come out with an entirely new career that they didn't even know was a thing that they can make I mean, they, they can make an engineer's salary out of a two-year degree. It's amazing. So, so and this is incredible because you're you're literally giving people so much purpose and and so much to work toward. And one of the things that really strikes me, like tears at my my heartstrings, or pulls at my heartstrings. Sorry, is when people take care of the veterans that took care of us. Right, like the the fact that you get to have a watch company, the fact that we get to live in this country, the fact that we get to have the freedom to be entrepreneurs and, and pursue whatever kind of harebrained idea we want to pursue is because of these individuals <laughs> that go out there and protect this. So I just think it's one of the most beautiful initiatives ever that you are not only donating to it, but then hiring from it. It's one of the most beautiful full circle moments I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And that's that's my why for aligning myself and my company with uh, the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative, because you know everything you just said. I mean, they provide us the safety and security that that we need to wake up every day and go build a business and hire people. Um, and there's no amount of thanks that that we can say or do that that makes up for that. So if I can give one of them a job, you know, my my goal is to hire at least one person from the veterans watchmaking initiative every year. Mm. Um, uh, and, and 
that's kind of as much as I can do. But I know there's other people like me in America that run similar companies that will hopefully do the same. And that's just amazing. Absolutely. So talk to me about this initiative that you have coming up to support it. You're getting 10% of proceeds from a certain line of watches or something. What you were saying earlier when we went through rapid fire. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we found a pocket watch that was made specifically for the U.S. Army Air Corps during World War II. And this pocket watch was flown on most of the bombers in World War II and was actually used in you know, the Air Corps and, and now obviously the Air Force until I think the mid-60s. And the pocket watch was, it was a stopwatch and a pocket watch all in one. So it was used for guidance, obviously timing of, you know, when and where they were. Um, I mean, this is, it's, it's, you know, the 40s, right? I mean, the late 30s and the early 40s, we didn't have laser guidance systems. We didn't have GPS. You know, you had to figure out where you were when you just looked at the stars and you had the pocket watch, right? Mm -hmm. And so these pocket watches were flown in, in all of those major missions in in that war and, and the ones after um about a hundred thousand of them were made to my estimation based on what i can find through a little bit of research and i have 60 of them and so we're making what we call the military edition which in my opinion and i'm obviously a little biased but i think it's the coolest watch that can ever be made <laughs> i would i would agree i mean, um, think about the history and the story and, behind it and the fact that there's only 60 oh, it's insane. out of 100,000 of these left oh it's insane yeah so so i have 60 of them 10 of them are going to my investors um and 50 of them will be for sale on veterans day here in a few weeks oh um, is that cool and 10% of the of the revenue of of that product goes straight to the Veterans Watchmakers Initiative. And I think I can find about 50 or so per year, like that the rate I'm finding them, you know, and, and picking them and, and sourcing them through my sources, I think I can get about 50 a year. And so my goal and my hope is that every Memorial Day and Veterans Day, I'll list this product for sale on just that day. And that's the only day you can buy it. And what the Veterans Watchmaking Initiative is doing is not, they're not only getting 10%, but starting next year, those students are going to do the restoration on the pocket watches themselves. Wow. So I'm giving them these pocket watches that I find that were you know, military battle used in the Air Corps, giving them back to the veterans. They're going to restore them and help me bring this product to life. And we're just going to make as many as we can. And I, I call it a limited edition, but it's, it's not necessary. The first one will be one out of 50. You know, there's only 50 of them, so it'll be serial numbered. Mm -hmm. But in the future, I'm just kind of going to make as many as I find, if yeah. that makes and, sense. And just keep them um, numbered. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so the first one we're calling the first edition, you know, just like a book, right? So this mm -hmm. is the first edition. I think it's going to be really exclusive. I, I'm holding the prototype in my hand and I, it's just, I'll send you a picture offline here. I know, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. I can't um, wait to see it. It's just, it's just amazing. And so anyway, it's just kind of, it's something I've been dreaming about doing for a really long time. 
is making this product. And I'm just so I'm so happy that that I could partner with with them and, and do something good with this with this money, right? Is is obviously I, I can create the jobs that are needed to to machine like we're taking a, a block of titanium and machining it down from scratch here in Fort Collins and and turning it into a watch. So I need people to do that, but I also need people to do the restoration on the old movement. So God, is that cool? Um, hopefully, every when single... when customers, all right, we're good. I was just so. gonna say every single thing about this limited edition uh, veterans watch is has everything to do with supporting them. It's restored by veterans, used, you know, basically seventy years ago. Now we're talking, actually, eighty years ago. Now we're talking, my gosh, by veterans, right. um, supporting monetarily veterans. Like everything about it is one of the coolest initiatives I've ever scene where someone has has nailed all the parts like that. Where can we grab them by the way? And when did you say they're only on Veterans Day? Yeah, so we're we're announcing it on um October 25th, which there's a big watch trade show in New York City on October 25th, and that's when we're like announcing it and sending press releases and all that stuff. And we'll we'll start like a pre-order list, like a waiting list basically. And then on Veterans Day, which is November 11th, we'll put the product on our website for sale. Um, oh, man, that's cool. And anyone that signs up for that pre-order list will get kind of first dibs. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll go quickly. I don't know. I've never, I've never done a limited edition before, so we're going to find out. But before I ask you another um, question, I'm really them, excited. Give them where to sign up for it before I go on to the next question. Yeah, so uh, vorticwatches.com. Uh, we'll have a big uh, kind of landing page and pop up on the front of the website around the homepage uh, about the military edition starting on the 25th of October. We'll put a link in the show so. notes, but V-O-R-T-I-C watches.com. Yep. All right. Awesome. Okay. Yep. So Vortec, like Vortex and TikTok. Yep. This is number one. Thanks for doing this and supporting that cause. It, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. It, it means a lot to me because it's a cause that I care a lot about. So here's what I've noticed. Shifting gears a little bit. This watch is starting to pop up on the wrists of all of the a lot of really big entrepreneurs. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's accidentally or intentionally kind of becoming the entrepreneur's watch, so to speak. You know, it's Dave Hollis has one on, on the cover of his new book. I've got one. Yeah. Lewis Howes has one. Like, why do you think that this particular watch is starting to go viral among entrepreneurs? Well, you know, I think especially for today's American entrepreneur, we don't want something that anyone else can just buy. So it's true. A, a Vortec watch, every single one is one of a kind. You know, even with this this limited edition, the the military edition, we're we're making fifty, and they'll all look the same, but they're all still different. You know, the insides are a little different on each one. Mm-hmm. So every single watch is one of a kind. And no one else in the world can have your watch. And I think that's, you know, that's what we want is a conversation piece and and something that really tells a story because you don't need a watch today, right? I mean, you have your phone to tell you what time it is. So it's a luxury purchase. And it's something that you typically buy to reward yourself. For something else, you know, like when uh, you hit that goal or you get that promotion or you have have a child or or what have you, and you buy yourself a watch, and and that watch now has that story 
Mm. And, you know, if, if 10,000 other people have the same watch, like a Rolex or Omega or something like mm-hmm. that, that story is just not quite as sexy. Yeah. In my opinion. I, I agree with you. So, number, one, number one, I agree with you. Number two, I think you nailed it for me personally. If I'm only speaking about myself, it's because I've got other watches that other people have and, you know, watches I paid ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for where I show up to a meeting and other people have the same model. Whereas this, I, sh- I know I'm showing up with a conversation piece that nobody else has and it's way less expensive. So it's kind of a, a cool uh, win-win situation there for me anyways. That's just me, why, why I like it so much, you know? For sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what, what Dave said, you know, I was talking to him about making him a watch and I just listened to your podcast with, with him. And, um, he's such an awesome human being by the way. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of his, his why and kind of everything I talked to him about was just, you know, no one else is going to have this watch. Um, and that, that's what makes it cool. And, and it's so, like you said, He's wearing it on the covers of his book. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. It's like the coolest thing for me. You know, it's amazing seeing that. So that's, that's got to be a cool moment for you. You said you're a history nerd, and we know that some of the best lessons come from studying history. What is the best yeah. business lesson that you've pulled from history that that's helped you out? Oh man, talk the about putting you on the spot. Lesson. Yeah, I I love this. Um, there's so many stories from these old watches, Chris. So here, I'm just going to rattle off a couple anecdotes. I'll start with the best one. One of the, the old watch companies, so there was 10. There was 10 great American watch companies. One of them was from Cleveland, Ohio, and it was called the Ball Watch Company. And the Ball Watch Company was founded by a gentleman named Webb C. Ball. And there was a huge train wreck in the late 1800s just outside Cleveland. And Webb owned a jewelry store. And he commissioned pocket watches to be made for him specifically for his jewelry store. And he called it the Ball Watch Company. And other companies like Waltham and Hamilton and Illinois, they made the movements for him. And then he altered them and made them better, made them keep more accurate time. And he came up with really what a lot of people call the, the railroad standards. You know, it, it kept just perfect time for the railroads. And he sold it as the official railroad watch. If you had a ball pocket watch, you would be on the ball. You would be on time all the time. And that's where the and that's where that, from. that phrase comes from. And he, Webb C. Ball, in my opinion, is one of the greatest marketers of all time. <laughs> because, I mean, think about that. He said, he said I'm, I'm going to see this, this. It was a tragedy, right? There's a huge train wreck. A lot of people died. It was a horrible event. And he said, I'm going to solve that problem and give these railroads a more accurate piece of engineering that will keep them on time. And I'm going to call it after my own name and I'm just going to make it better. And then I'm going to sell them. And he sold a whole bunch of them. (laughs) That is so So, cool. I love um, it. That's where the the phrase, he or she is on the ball. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so that's awesome. And there's, I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many little anecdotes um, that, that I try to, you know, so if you buy uh, what we call the Cleveland that has a ball pocket watch inside of it, we don't make very many because they're they're really sought after by collectors because of that story. 
And so we don't get very many of them from the, the scrapyards, as you will. But um, when, when I do sell one of those and we have one of those, I try to tell that story because it just, it makes the watch so meaningful to that, that person. But they all, they all have stories like the, the Waltham watch company just outside of Boston, they were called the scientific watch and they made 40 million pocket watches in that factory, which still stands today on the Charles river there. And, um, that factory allegedly, uh, from what I've read and heard is where Henry Ford got some of, if not a lot of the inspiration for Ford motor company and the idea of interchangeable parts on the assembly line, uh, because they were making interchangeable parts and mass producing watches in like the mid 1800s. Ah, um, and that was the whole idea of Ford. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of Ford is to make a, make a lot of them, make yeah. them really high quality, but make them less expensive. Yeah, mass-produced and interchangeable parts. I remember that as being yeah, uh, and that's, the history. Yeah, and that's what Waltham Watch Company, that's what they did. They made millions of exactly the same thing with interchangeable parts so they could be a really high-value watch, not a high price point, but really, really high quality. Wow, that is freaking cool. I love that. So do you think history has made you, being a history nerd, a better entrepreneur? Um, it's made me a better storyteller, which has made me a better marketer. Ah, um, I like that because yeah, well, so that's why I said building a story brand. Cause I, and I listened to Don Miller's podcast, which is also called building a story brand. Highly recommend it, but I don't make watches. I don't sell watches. I just tell stories. Because oh. I can, I can just tell you if I if I'm holding what I call the Cleveland, which is a, a ball pocket watch that we turned into wristwatch, and I tell you that story about it, and then I hand it to you, and I say, "Do you want to buy this?" There's only one right answer to that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it it sells the watch without. I don't even have to tell you that it's 100% American made, that it's you know uh, 102 years old. That's a titanium case that I cut from a block here in Colorado and, you know, hand stitched leather strap. All that other stuff goes out the window when you hear that story because it's like, yep, I need that one. <laughs> oh, man, that is so, awesome. That's true. That's a good um, lesson for everybody who's yeah. out there with any product that they're selling. It doesn't have to be a historical watch. If you can get really good about creating and telling the story behind your product, people will be exponentially more likely to say yes instead of telling the features of your product. Hundred percent, yeah, and 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 it doesn't necessarily mean the the story of the product. It could be the story of how it's made. It could be the story of of you, you know, and how you started the company. Um, if you just get down the rabbit hole of telling a bunch of stories, then the the customer feels connected to you and then feels as though they should purchase because now you're friends. That's really cool. That's re- that's that's really cool. I want to go back to one more thing you said too earlier in the interview when we were busting through rapid fire. When I said, hey, what's something you struggle with right now? You said it was Mm -hmm. scaling out and hiring in your business. And it reminded me of another another conversation that you and I had in the mastermind, a big exercise we did around how entrepreneurs, like every entrepreneur, always feels scarcity or always kind of, quote, feels broke. Even in your case, when you have a multi-million dollar business and you had this moment, this breakthrough where you're like, whoa, I didn't realize how much money I was worth, but I didn't feel like I was worth that money. Can you take us back there? And, and I've got a two-part question for you. Number one, talk a little bit about this feeling that all entrepreneurs seem to share where you just don't realize how well you're doing and what you can do to realize it. Number two, 
why we all have that scarcity around adding the team members that we know we need to add. Yeah. So I think for me, it's it's always hard to see past the blinders of day to day and and kind of look up and look backwards like we talked about and kind of see what what we've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And the only way I was able to do that was remove myself from day to day. And as soon as I found the right people, so I have a you know, I hired a, a sales and communications associate. And and Zach now answers all of our emails and phone calls, which used to be most of my job. And we have an operations manager who handles all day-to-day operations and production, basically figures out which watch gets made today, which watches get made tomorrow, what parts we need, does inventory, manages the other people, all that stuff. Those two key players in my business, they basically do those two jobs, which were the two jobs that I did for the last, you know, five years, really. And as soon as I had them and fully gave myself to that process and delegated to them and trusted them, then I could lift my head up and say, okay, what's next? You know, what should I, what should I really be focused on now? And that's when I had the opportunity to kind of look backwards and say, wow, okay, this is, this is really cool. This business is, um, Awesome. <laughs> and and I think, you know, to answer your second question about that, like when when do you hire and, and how do you do like for me, like making those decisions is always really stressful because when I look someone in the eye and I shake their hand and I say, Welcome to Vortic Watch Company. I'm so glad you came here to work for me. I am creating a contract with them that every two weeks money will be deposited in their bank account. And I'll tell you, Chris, the the most stressful part about being an entrepreneur for me is making sure that there's always money in the business checking account every two weeks that is a larger number than gets auto-drafted through QuickBooks to those people. And that's a fear Um, that strikes a lot of entrepreneurs. I think because of the significance, it affects someone else's life. Well, it's their it's their life, it's their well being, it's their family's life. You know, a couple of my associates are married and have, you know, either working on kids or thinking about it. And you know, it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of other things at play and a huge ripple effect of missing a payroll. And and knock on wood, I have yet to miss a payroll. We've come real close, not recently, but a long time ago. Come real close. And man, is that the most stressful thing. And that's the only thing that has ever really truly kept me up at night is is making sure that that they all get paid because I don't care how loyal they are, how cool their job is, or how awesome, you know, our watches are that we make. If they don't get paid, I would not expect them to show up. Yeah. Um I, I could never expect them. And and that's scary because I need them. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, that's amazing. Yeah. A lot of people struggle yeah. with that. So I, I appreciate you actually sharing that and being transparent about that. So where are you taking this company? In, in five years from now, what is the dream scenario that you've done with this company? Yeah. So we specialize in creating experiences in the watch industry. Mm-hmm. When you buy a Vortec watch, you are signing up for 
a roller coaster ride of awesome experiences from the time that like you get the confirmation email to even before that when you're designing the watch on our watch builder app on the website where you can completely design one from scratch and have it made to order to you got it when you got the watch in the mail and it's wrapped in wax you know wrapped in burlap paper and wax sealed to the the booklet that's inside that tells you about the watch all those little things they cost money and it obviously eats into the margins on the product but people comment on our packaging and our customer service way more than they comment on the watches and people comment on the watches too because they're awesome and they love them and it's fun but i've had a dozen customers literally frame that wax seal and packaging and like booklet that comes in the watch which is just mind-blowing to me but people just think it's the coolest thing and so what i want to do long term is to create those experiences for more people so i i can only make i don't know 500 of these American Artisan Series watches a year, like the watch that you have, we call it the pocket watch conversion, mm-hmm. maybe 500 a year. Like it, there's just, there's a lot of pocket watches out there. There's not a whole lot of watchmakers. It's a really hard product to make. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good number. Yeah. So to scale the business, we'll make other products, fully modern watches. We'll make as much as we can in the US, really high quality mechanisms. And we'll sell them in that same way, a bespoke made to order product at a very wide range of prices and provide an experience not only with um, receiving it, but also in purchasing it. So we're, we're working on a, some technology where you can basically walk into a jewelry store, a watch shop anywhere in the country, walk up to an iPad that says Vortec above it and design a custom made-to-order watch right there in the store uh, that we would make genius. for you in Colorado. Dude, you're yeah, so always that's, dreaming that's really up where something new. Like, God, do I commend you on the way your brain thinks. The genius of yeah, that you is that invest, you get to I'm, sell I'm through all the retail it. stores. <laughs> you get to sell through all the retail yeah. stores. You get to make it a unique experience. And you don't have to stock them in the stores. Right, because that's the biggest problem in the retail industry. And a lot of watch and jewelry retailers are struggling or they're really trying to negotiate like consignment terms because they can't afford to pay for and hold the inventory. Also, you know, a lot of people don't want what's on the shelf. They go and look at what's in the store and then they just go on the website and and buy it directly from the brand instead of through the retailer. But, you know, if I had a couple of display models in a store that you could check out and then an iPad there with like a really sweet user interface, it's kind of like Build-A-Bear, but for a luxury watch, right? <laughs> That's awesome. What a cool analogy. Listen, you never, you never cease to amaze me and, and inspire me to think different and, and create something incredible out of, let's say, the everyday ordinary. And, and that's one of my favorite things about you as an entrepreneur is you are not only restoring history, but you're creating history and everything in between and, and just know how much of an inspiration you are, man. Thanks. Uh, same goes right back to you. I, uh, it's really honored to be on this podcast and to share every second with you here. So I appreciate you. I got two questions left for you. One's really easy. Where can we find you? Where can we find the watches? Yeah, so it's um, Vortic Watches on Instagram and VorticWatches.com. And it's V-O-R-T-I-C Watches. And we're going like to make Vortex sure... Vortex and TikTok. 
Yeah, we're going to make sure we're yeah. going to get the link to Vordic watches, not only in the show notes, but of course, out to everybody um, on Veterans Day or at least before Veterans Day so they can pre-register for that really cool limited edition that you're going to be doing that gives back to the veterans. All right, last question for you. I ask everyone this question. Curious what your answer is. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success? Well, you really have to look at yourself. And I try to do this as much as possible without sounding cliche and and determine why you were put on the planet. And I heard Dave Hollis say something kind of similar and, and it's always inspiring, but it's like, you know, whether you're a religious person or you believe in karma, which I, I'm a firm believer in karma, that if I have, you know, if my, a lot of my ancestors lived to like their 90s and 100. If I, if I have like 90 years on the planet, I, I got to just, I got to do everything that I possibly can do to make it worth it for me and, and build a great life for my family. And that's really what my parents did for me. I mean, I told you about the quote that my dad always said to me and, and my, my mom and my dad both worked full time and had side hustles themselves. And, and they created this life and this opportunity for me to go to a great school and have awesome opportunity. And I want to do that for my sons and, and their sons and daughters and, and the next generation. I think you know, we talked about it in the mastermind. It's it's uh, creating generational wealth, not so you can go out and buy yachts and all that kind of stuff. Which okay, maybe that's fun sometimes, but it's creating generational wealth. Doesn't the word wealth doesn't have to mean money? Mm-hmm. It could just mean opportunity, and that's what I look at. I wow. want to create generational opportunity for myself, my family, my friends, these amazing employees that I found that work for me now, like. What if I could create generational opportunity while I'm here? That would be just fantastic. Incredible. When you said that, all of a sudden I heard like creating generational security. Like, isn't that the ultimate goal? Yeah. Another great word. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily about putting a bunch of money in the bank. It's, It's about that safety, security, opportunity. All, all those are great words to describe what what's, you know in my head floating around right now. Man, man, I love it. Buddy, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show, not only sharing some of the vulnerable pieces, but really just these great lessons of what we can learn about history and how you can create a company out of something that just did not exist before out of thin air. It's absolutely inspiring. So RT, my friend, I can't thank you enough. Thank you, sirs. So awesome, Chris. Can't wait to see you again. And... Uh... Yeah, just like I said, it's an honor. Looking forward to it, buddy. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.